But if we're not showing up to be transformed, what are we doing? I've been a pastor, I've been a pastor for 22 years almost. And I still show up most Sundays wondering, how does God want to transform me this week? What things does he want to draw out in me? What things are still a part of me that needs sanctified? What things are still a part of me that he wants to, to change, that he wants to shape and mold? What things does he want to burn away? What things does he want to impart? I'm always looking for that. And that's not, it's not, un, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think he rewards hunger, desire, and expectancy. Expectancy. We want to be a church that lives in a constant state, not a nervous or anxious state, but a constant healthy state of expectancy. Why? Because we serve an unbelievably powerful God who just, he wants to encounter people and he wants to use us to do it. Uh, in 2003, um, I became uh, the youngest head coach of a varsity baseball program in the state of Iowa. Uh, I was not even, how old would I have been? I was still 24, 24 years old. Now, I'd like to tell you uh, that I got this job based on merit. Uh, that is not true. I got the job because nobody else wanted it. Uh, I got the job because uh, the pay was not great at all, and the team was historically terrible. Uh, and so this was a school that had broken off from another school. They had separated. Uh, and so in the three years that they'd had baseball before I got there, the team was a combined 0 and 65. So that is not easy to do uh, in baseball of all sports, where even bad teams accidentally win sometimes. And so uh, not only were they 0 and 65, they actually had gotten beat once in a game 35 to 0 uh, in a three inning game. They, they, the, the umps were just like, this, this is good. Like, they called the game after three innings, uh, 35 to zero. So I'd never heard of that. That's getting beat by five touchdowns uh, in baseball, though. It, doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't make any sense. So I took this job over. Uh, it was a super young team, too. So we had uh, one senior. Uh, I don't think there were any. No, there were two juniors, one senior. And then uh, we had five eighth graders that were playing varsity because you can do that. And uh, some of you that grew up in small towns and small schools, you know that when you graduate eighth grade, you can play uh, varsity baseball that year. And so we had a bunch of eighth graders and a bunch of freshmen. And so I did feel, though, like we had actually some talent on the team. I, mean, I really did feel like that. And um, I noticed early on when I took over, like the culture was just completely it was a disaster. Uh, it was just as broken as broken can be in terms of guys showing up late for practice initially. Like, I just kind of wanted to watch and observe that first week. And then guys just messing around. And just, it was, just, it was lazy and sloppy, and it was all kinds of problems. And so um, I changed it uh, pretty dramatically pretty early on and uh, did a whole bunch of things that I thought would really help improve our chances to at least get a, a win, right? Uh, a win. And so um, the first game of the year, uh, we play a team that I felt like it, it was a good chance for us to win. I really did. We had a good pitcher. We had one guy. We had two pitchers that were decent. We had one of them was really good. He was a freshman. And I felt like if we pitch him, we have a chance. If we can just do something, uh, you know, I think we have a chance. And so we, we were playing well. We were actually going into the top of the seventh. You play seven innings in high school. Going into the top of the seventh, uh, we were ahead six to two. And so I thought, man, let's just shut this down. Um, but... The freshman, he was, he could just tell he was done, um, I, so I had to, to bring in a relief pitcher. And so, bringing the relief pitcher, uh, kid 
it starts to just walk people. <sighs> a couple guys, and I was, I had a short leash because I'm like, we got to, so you, I think he walks, the base is loaded. And so I'm like, I was giving him, he walks two guys, and I'm like, if he walks this next guy, I got to pull him, and he does. And so I bring in another guy. Another guy walks and run in. It's 6-3. Then a guy, then a guy like hits the ball about four feet, and we, are, we totally botch it. And it's an error, and then it's 6-5. to five. Then they get another, another hit, and it's 6-6. Six to six. It's tied now. And we had two outs at this point, but they still had a couple guys on base. And I walk out to the mound. This is a senior who's now like our third relief pitcher of the seventh inning. I walk out to him. There's two outs, and I just call, and I'm like, okay, you know. And I walk out. Before I even say anything, he says to me, he says to me, welcome to, then he says the school's name, welcome to blank baseball coach. And I was like, nope. I was like, that's not, that's not the way it's going to be anymore. I said, you're going to get this dude out, and then we're going to go into the bottom of the seventh, and we're going to win this game. So get this guy out, all right? And he did. So we go into the bottom of the seventh, and we, we get our leadoff guy gets on base, and I can't remember how it all works out, but we get a guy on third, um, and we have one out. And so I have a freshman at bat, again, varsity game, bottom of the seventh, guy on third. There's one out, some pressure. And I call for a suicide squeeze. I noticed their pitcher was taking forever. He was going from the wind up from third base, which you, when a guy on third, you shouldn't do. Uh, not that any of you care about this, but whatever. So, um, so, so anyway, I'm like, here we go, you know? And so as soon as the dude starts his wind up, our guy from third just takes off. It's a really terrible pitch, but the freshman manages to get the bunt down. Cigar, the guy slides in, game over, we win, right? So, yeah, it was amazing. And so, so no, we get, that's the first win. We, we, we started the season five and one. And we actually 10 run ruled a team that was really, a, a, had been a really good team. And we absolutely pounded them. And we ended up having a really good season. Um, we even won a playoff game. And then a few years later, um, that I was gone by this time, but a few years later, the team won the conference championship with a lot of those same players. And so um, what happened, right, is uh, a shift happened in that one night, that one moment, that one got the guy out, lay down the suicide squeeze bunt, that one win propelled them into a whole different set of thinking, right? Uh, and there were still teams that absolutely destroyed us, but we didn't go into those games just assuming they were going to, right? And so it's a big difference. So we're in this series right now called Building the House. This is the fifth week of the series, and it's talking about the kind of culture we want to have here at New Point Church, the kind of culture that we feel that God has called us to, uh, that we feel there are things that should be true of any church and every church that are seeking to serve and follow Jesus, but then there are things, I believe, that are specific to individual houses, and I think that's okay. I think that's good. The Bible talks about that, one body, many parts, and a lot of people think of that in terms of within this church, we'll say New Point, this is one body, and it has many parts, which is incredibly true. That's incredibly true. There are those of you that have different and unique gifts, and we need all of those to fit together to be healthy and whole. But then the, the body of Christ, the big C church, also is one body with many parts, meaning there are different churches in different places all over the world in different regions that serve different functions that have different things that God has called them to. And we shouldn't look down on churches that we feel like have a lesser calling or be envious in some negative way of churches that we feel have a different one. It's, no, what is our calling? What does God want to call us to? What kind of culture does he want us to have here? Our job 
above anything is to be obedient to that. And so that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the things that we feel like are really unique, not totally unique, like nobody else has them, but that God has spoken to us about New Point Church. And so what we, I'm going to do a quick review here, very brief, of the first four weeks, if you want to put that up on the screen. So week one, Pastor Jordan talked about how it's all about Jesus and how we talk about Jesus. We're trying to follow Jesus, Right? We're walking, we're, we're told that we're being uh, always shaped and conformed to the image and the likeness of Jesus. It's very specific. We are the body of Christ, very specific to Jesus. So we don't want to, even though it's not a bad thing, we don't want to talk about God in abstract or generic terms. We're, we're talking about Jesus. Jesus is the one <laughs> that uh, we're, we're trying to follow, that we're called to, as he even said last week, as I talked about, uh, just as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Next, I talked about on earth as it is in heaven, that part of the Lord's prayer, and how we want to see uh, heaven come down to earth. We talked some about what that looks like, and how we have to want the kingdom, and we have to be able to know what the kingdom is if we're going to want it, and we also have to have a hunger for it. So that was kind of a, a dual message there. We want to be hungry for on earth as it is in heaven to come, and not just hope that it magically happens, but we want to press in. We want to intercede. We want to do what needs to be done, and we talked about how God... Uh, you know, Jesus specifically, he didn't like performance, but he rewarded effort. And there's a big difference between those two things. Then after that, Mike and Dino were here. Uh, the most memorable service, hands down, in the history of, of New Point Church. And there's no way I can summarize that, but I did, I did think that when I thought back on it this week, you know, Mike said something early on in his talk, time that he talked about being baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And that's really what I think that whole service was actually about. It was going beyond just the run-of-the-mill Christianity, some sort of like some, some sort of assent intellectually to a set of ideas or beliefs, some sort of social club or moral behaviors or anything like that. No, it's being completely transformed, baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire so that everything that's in you that's not of God is burned away and everything that he wants to impart to you through the Holy Spirit is brought to the surface and you start to operate in a different way of life. Crazy things, right? And it might start very, very, very simply. I think that's such an important thing for us to recognize from Mike and Dina that it started with peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to homeless guys. Very simple, right? Baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. And then last week I talked a lot about mission and the mission of love and how what is released into the house can't stay in the house or it will die. If you remember the dead armadillo wrapped in tinfoil thrown into the girl's bathroom. That should, you know, memory. So, uh, so mission, how all those things, so those are things that are hugely important. So today, what I want to talk about, uh, again, very briefly, relative to a normal message, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about expectancy. I want to talk about expectancy. I want to talk about, the, about attitude, about mindset, about what you expect. Uh, twofold, really, primarily, though, uh, you know, when it comes to your life and your relationship and interactions with God and also what it, as being a part of this community, not just on Sunday mornings, but in general. I want to start with a scripture, and you can just hold off on putting it up on the screen because I want to tell a little bit of the story first before I get to these specific verses. So this is in Acts chapter 3. The church has been birthed miraculously on the day of Pentecost. Peter has preached powerfully, and thousands have come to know Jesus and it says that there were people were being added to their number every day, and there's all this amazing stuff going on. And, uh, but you still find Peter and John, who are both uh, Jews, who are still observing Jewish law. 
uh, which was okay for them to do. They were realizing that Jesus was the fulfillment of all of those scriptures, and they were, he was, uh, as he said, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. So they're still um, being obedient to going to synagogue and their daily prayers and all the things that they were supposed to do as good Jews. And so this is one day in Acts 3, we find Peter and John who are, you know, two, two-thirds of Jesus' super tight inner circle. They were with him at the Mount of Transfiguration. They got to see stuff that nobody else and the disciples got to see. And they're going to church. When it's an afternoon, actually. Synagogue times were 9 and 3, just your regular days of prayer. Or, I'm sorry, hours of prayer every day, 9 and 3. And they're going to the afternoon church service. So they're just going to church at 3 in the afternoon on a regular day. And they walk up to the church, and they see at the gate... It's called beautiful, we're told in Acts 3. It was the gate was called beautiful. They see a man who's been lame since he was born, and he's there begging. Uh, presumably, somebody had set him there so that he could beg. And so he's not stupid. I mean, you know, people were coming to church. Let's, you know, stand in front of a church and ask for something. They, at least nothing else. I can guilt some people into, you know, helping me. And so he's laying there, and it says that Peter and John come upon him, and he he asks them, do you have, you know, could, could, you, spare, could you spare a dollar, basically? And, and it says that Peter says, first of all, he asks the guy to look at them, which is there's a lot with that just in terms of the dignity, but he says, just look at us. And the guy looks up because I'm sure he was hanging his head in shame as he asked for stuff. And Peter says, I don't have silver or gold, you know. We don't have any, we don't have any money. Uh, but what we do have, what we do have, we give you. Stand up and walk. And it says immediately, uh, the guy stood to his feet. And it says he began jumping and shouting and praising the Lord. And it actually says that he clung to Peter, which why wouldn't you, right? It's always stuck out to me. It's something that I've prayed about and for for a long time now, well over a decade this little statement where Peter says, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. And then the guy is instantly healed. And I've got, said, God, what, whatever he had, I want that. Whatever that is, whatever he was so confident in saying, what I do have, I give you. And just, he didn't even pray for the guy. Did you catch that? There was no prayer. He just said, get up and walk. I'm a fan of that kind of efficiency, right, Ken? I mean, you know, let's just not even waste breath. Why, why mess around with flowery, fancy prayers? Who the heck cares? I'm, I'm concerned with end results. <laughs> and so whatever that is that Peter had, that's what I want. And then it says, now in verses 11 uh, and 12 and then 16, and I kind of put these all together, it says this, uh, while the man, I love this, while the man held on to Peter and John, right, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw, I love this, when Peter saw this, this has messed with me and, and had me almost lose sleep. He said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is in the name of Jesus. I'm sorry that I messed. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him. As 
all of you can see. Why does this surprise you? Well, Peter, I'll tell you why it surprises me. Because this dude's been lame since he was born, and he's been laying here all the time. And I've previous to this, I've never seen a lame person stand up and just walk. So that's why it surprises me. Fair enough. But I think there's something so crazy in Peter's answer. So first statement is, you know, uh, what I have, I give you. The second statement, he's like so unimpressed even with himself, Peter is. Why does this surprise you? You act like, I mean, I did something. I didn't do anything. This is just Jesus. This is what happens when Jesus shows up, right? It's just normal. But it's not normal for most of us. Not normal for any of us, probably. You know, I use this quote in my first sermon I ever preached here at New Point almost four years ago, and I want to bring it back because nobody obviously remembers it since that time. So, um, but it's a Ray Ortland quote, really simple, and I'm going to launch the rest of our time together from this. He says, remove wonder-working power from Christianity, and what do you have left? Religious franchises managing community service programs. Man, I'll tell you, there, there's nothing wrong at all with community service programs. There are huge benefits, in fact, to a lot of those things. They do large amounts of good. There's just one problem. <laughs> that's not the church, and that's not what the church is called to. Is the church called to care for people in all the ways that we're, we've talked about so many times here? Of course we are. It's deep. It's huge. But the church is given something incredibly unique that no other organization, if you will, for lack of a better term, in this entire world has. And that's the presence and the power of God. That is the Holy Spirit that has been given to us, the one that Jesus said, it's better if I go. Because the Holy Spirit will come. And when he does, again, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And whatever happened in, in that moment that Peter said, whatever I have, what I have, I give to you. It's that power of the Holy Spirit. Take up your mat, or sorry, excuse me, stand up and walk. Why does this surprise you? It's just through faith. It's just through the Holy Spirit inside of us. You know, the truth is, I mean, I have a deep level of love for the church. For the church, capital C, and then, of course, for our church, I have a deep level of love for the church. I mean, we are the body of Christ. We are the people of God. We are the sons and daughters, right? We are heirs to a kingdom, and we are the only organization, again, for lack of a better term, but it is like this in the entire world, and we are, guys, I talked about this some last week, we are uh, the hope of the world. We are the light of the world. Jesus says that about us. I'm not just over-exaggerating. And so because I love the church, capital C, and this church, and because I read the scriptures and it's things like Acts 3, and because I understand church history, and because I understand what's going on globally in the church right now, like, I just want the church to rise up and be who we're supposed to be, to be who God intended us to be. 
I want us to cast off every hindrance and the things that would slow us down, that would drag us down and rise up and take our place and where God wants, not from an arrogance standpoint, because it's not about us. You see, that's the mistake people make. I'm not worried about making our name famous. I'm worried about making his name famous. I'm, I, I want to see things happen. And when they do happen, when we say things like, why does this surprise you? The point church is nothing. This just happens because of faith in Jesus and when people actually take Jesus seriously. Do you realize that the most, the most boring, the most boring church service in the entire New Testament that's recorded would be the most exciting service that anybody here has ever seen? You know what the most boring service in the New Testament was? It says that Paul preached well past midnight. He preached so long that there was a, a young man sitting in a window, and these were open-air windows, sitting in a window. And Paul preached so long that the kid fell asleep. And he fell, when he fell asleep, he fell out the window, and he died. And so Paul's like, well, I probably should stop preaching now. So he goes downstairs over to the kid, and he raises him from the dead. And then he kept, pre kept preaching <laughs> like a true preacher would. That's the most boring service. Paul preaches. It's so boring, the kid falls out of a window and dies. That is not going to happen here today, I hope. There's no windows, obviously, but... And then Paul goes down like it's nothing and raises the kid from the dead. Most of us would be absolutely, we, I mean, that would be all over the place. You'd be posting that on Facebook. You know, you'd be, what, I, I don't even know how all social media works, but whatever it is, you'd be doing it with that, right? People would want to interview the guy who, you know, fell out of the window and was raised from the dead. And that was just, that was the most boring service back then. It would be the most exciting now. When you remove wonder-working power from Christianity, what do you have left? Religious franchises managing community service programs. I'd go a step further. When you remove wonder-working power from Christianity, when you move, remove expectancy, when you remove the hope of power, Jesus in us, the hope of glory, when you remove all that stuff, when you remove even the idea that we could see like what happened in Acts 3 happened today. When you remove even that idea, I think you even take it a step down from a community service program. I think actually if I could revise Ray Ortland's quote, what I would say is if you remove all that, all you actually have is just a social club. Community service programs actually serve people. Lots of churches, if you take out one or working power, and they're not serving anybody, it's just a social club. It's just a get-together. It's just a get, it's just a hang out and see who's going to be seen and be there because it makes me feel a little better about what I did on Saturday night or like I don't know the reasons but it ends up just being a social club and the church really achieves nothing that any other social club couldn't achieve it's just a very bizarre thing and it's such a shadow not even a shadow of what the church is called to be this is we don't want to be a social club and I don't think we are but I think it's important to just state that as a fact because the reality is when we show up, now I'm talking specifically right now about at least Sunday mornings, and there are other things we do here that I would include in this, but when we show up on a Sunday morning, 
The reality is, the reality is that if we can grasp it, if we can actually start to understand it or, or think of it correctly, right, if we can change our mindset, the reality is that we're not showing up here for anything other than to meet with the holy God of creation. The one that we're told in John chapter 1 that in him, speaking of Jesus, all things were created. They were created through him and by him and for him, and nothing was created that wasn't created by him. This is the God who formed us out of the dust. If you read the language of the Psalms, right, these are the ones that makes the mountains shake. It makes people tremble. This is, this is the holy God of creation, and we're showing up here in order to meet with him. It's not a social club. It's not a religious franchise managing a community service program. We're here to meet with this God. And I know that some of you grew up in churches, and uh, this would include me even, but some of you grew up in churches where you were, you were taught this is the Lord's house. Right, And when you show up in the Lord's house, what you want to, is to be respectful and reverent. Right? And respect and reverence in the cultures that we were raised in, most of us, in terms of what that looked like in a church, had to do with like making sure you were dressed properly and that you stood straight up and down and that you were very like quiet and didn't distract anybody. And it was just this very kind of like, I don't even know what I would describe it as, but it's actually not reverence. It's, it's, it's something else. It's like protecting yourself against actually getting too excited about God. If you want to know what biblical reverence looked like, you look no further than David when he danced before the Lord. And he was accused of being irreverent. But he said, I'm not, this is, this is God who's done all these incredible things. This is almighty God. How can I not be excited? How can I not dance before him? How can I not shout? How can I not do all these things? Like, do you not understand who this is? This is God we're talking about. For me, this is just for me, and I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad, but the most irreverent thing we can do on a Sunday morning or anytime we're in a worship service is just to sit there with no expectancy with no understanding of what's actually going on in this room when we're all gathered together. You know, Romans 8 says that each of us individually, individually, we've talked about this before, and I don't want to spend too much time on, but each of us individually have the same spirit in us that raised Christ from the dead. The same spirit. So let's just think about that logically for a second. If there's 100 people in this room right now, and each of us, have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the same spirit that was in Peter when he said, stand up and walk, the same spirit that was in Peter when he said, why does this surprise you? If that's in all of us, a hundred of us, and we all show up together in the same room with the same expectancy, understanding that we're meeting with the holy God of creation, who is pretty powerful last time I checked, and we have that same spirit inside of us, is that not just incredibly combustible in the most beautiful ways? Is that not just possible that when all of us show up, if all of us show up with the same mentality, that we're there and we're filled with the Holy Spirit, and what does God want to do this morning in and through me, and how is he going to show up in my life, and how can I show up in the life of someone else like Ken talked about it in service? What would it be like if everybody got on the same page in that regard? What would it look like? You know, the veil in the temple, when Jesus was crucified, at the moment of his death, we're told the veil in the temple was shredded from top to bottom. It's a three-foot thick. 
piece of material, and it was torn from top to bottom. Do you know why that veil was in place? It was in place to separate the presence and the power of God from the people because if the people came in to the presence and the power of God at that time before God had made a way through Jesus, you would die. You would die instantly. That's the kind of power that we now have inside of us. The veil of the temple was torn. What kind of power flowed out when that was torn? What kind of power was exposed? What kind of power was imparted to us? And we have that inside of us. We can't just show up, ho-hum, go through the motions another Sunday. And I'm not just talking just about Sundays only. I hope you understand I'm talking about outside too, but I'm using this as an example because I think it's a very, very practical one that we can relate to in terms of mentality and how we show up. Because if you can't show up on a Sunday morning with expectancy and some hope and some excitement, you're not going to show up usually the rest of your life with it. You know, when Mike and Dina were here, testimony after testimony that I've already heard, including my own experience, you know, when we walked in the room, worship hadn't even started yet. Just walking in this place, it felt different. And I think it's because you guys, to your credit, and it was amazing, people showed up expectant. You trusted that Pastor Jordan and I weren't just bringing these people in for the heck of it, for no reason, but that it was a big deal. We've never really brought in guest speakers, and so when we do, it's a big deal. We showed up expecting it, and it seems to me that if you, should, you should take that Sunday and think about God honors that. The presence wasn't here in that way just because of Mike and Dina. Now, they carry some stuff that's powerful, but a lot of it had to do with you guys that you showed up thinking, God might move today in a powerful way, and I want to be ready for it. What's that look like? And your hearts were prepared, and guess what? Then he did. And we can't just go back to regular after that. I don't, I don't want to. Now, I understand the argument on the flip side of this because I've made this argument in the past. Well, I've made it at least from a, a, a pastoral standpoint in other churches, and I get it, which is that, well, Josh, that sounds all good, and I get it. Man, I mean, that sounds great in theory, but here's the reality. Like, you know, the church hasn't given me a reason to expect anything different. You know, it's always just three songs and four songs and a sermon or, or whatever, and you know, I leave it. I get that, okay? You're right. Maybe that's true. I don't know. But I would say if that's true, we can only speak about this church, okay? only want to talk about us. If that's true here, then right now, today, it's time for a paradigm shift. It's time to shift our mentality. It's time to shift our expectations. It's time to enter this place every Sunday, at least to start, and we can move out from there, but with a sense of expectancy. It's time to go from, welcome to such and such baseball coach, just the same old, same old, to know this is a new day. This is a different way of operating from now on. And will, it, will we always win every game, so to speak? No. <laughs> but the difference is that our expectancy, our mindset has changed. There's been a paradigm shift. You know, we have this saying that we tell kids all the time, and I've probably been guilty of it sometimes in my own life with my own son, but it's like we tell them, now, don't get your hopes up. Don't get your hopes up because you know. To get your hopes up too high and then the thing doesn't happen, it's, you're just, it's, you can't recover from that, oh my gosh. We think that we're protecting them, but that we're setting them up for a, a really awful way of looking at the world. 
and of life. I think that the scriptures in the New Testament repeatedly, and even in the Old Testament at different times, they tell us repeatedly, people of God, get your hopes up. Get your hopes up. Quit trying to insulate yourself and protect yourself all the time from pain. Get your hopes up. If you get your hopes up, is it possible that you'll still suffer a loss? Yes, it is. But maybe you actually might win a bunch too. So why not take the risk? You have nothing to lose anyway because Jesus has got you covered. So why don't you just get your hopes up and go after certain things? It's time for a paradigm shift What I want to see is people coming in here with expectancy and hope and joy. And I understand that there's layer, and I get that. I don't have time today to unpack everything that I normally would with this. But showing up thinking, at least if nothing else, man, when we show up together, there's a hundred of us that all have the Holy Spirit inside of us and power. Now, I wonder what's possible, and I wonder what's possible this morning. I wonder what might happen, and I wonder what might happen afterwards. But, and if you show up and you still are like this, that, or the other, and it didn't go the way you hoped, you go, okay, all right, going to keep doing it. going to keep doing it. I want to see us show up with expectancy because I believe God wants for this church, as Pastor Jordan has said many times, he wants us to have our own stories. He wants us to have our own stories where there was a lame person that couldn't walk and they start walking. He wants to have our own stories of where people were dealing with crippling depression and then we, they were prayed for and they no longer struggled with depression. Where people were struggling with addiction had gone through everything they could ever gone through to try to break it and it's broken off from them in an instant. Where people have whatever, you name it, diseases, all kinds of struggles, emotional, physical, mental health issues, whatever it is. Marriage is on the verge of failure. I don't care what it is, name it, that God wants to show up in power here and give us our own stories. Is every person that ever comes in these doors and an issue with a malady going to get healed? They're not. But I can tell you that none will get healed if we don't do anything about it. But if we do something about it, some will. And that'll be amazing. It's expectancy and it's nothing, it's nothing, again, why does this surprise you? We just got to get to the point where it does surprise us and we can work out from there. But that's cool. We can start there, right? I think... <laughs> God wants transformation. He wants us to come in here and be transformed. And so it's not just about you if you have an illness or something being healed. It's not just that, right? Those are great stories. Those are powerful stories. But there's also stories like Mike and Dina's. I was living this life, and I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire. The almighty God, I encountered him. And now, man, I can't, I I have to go here and I have to go there and I have to do this. And it doesn't mean you're going to move to China and start an orphanage. It might just mean now all of a sudden I'm going to, you know, downsize my house so I can give more away. Now I'm going to, you know, sell my house so I can go on a missions trip. Now I'm going to peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to homeless people, you know. I'm going to do these things. There's something that we're looking for transformation. Guys, if we're not showing up each Sunday with an expectation, with expectancy that we might encounter the holy, almighty God of the universe who we're singing about and we're listening to stuff. I mean, this is what we're here for. If we're not doing that, we literally have no reason to be here. Right? Those of us that are believers, I should clarify, right? If you're somebody that's not yet and you're showing up just to learn more, man, you, you just show up and God will meet you. But if we're not showing up to be transformed, what are we doing I've been a pastor. For, I've been a pastor for 22 years almost, and I still show up most Sundays wondering how does God want to transform me this week? 
What things does he want to draw out in me? What things are still a part of me that need sanctified? What things are still a part of me that he wants to, to change, that he wants to shape and mold? What things does he want to burn away? What things does he want to impart? I'm always looking for that. And that's not, it's not, un, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think he rewards hunger, desire, and expectancy. Expectancy. We want to be a church that lives in a constant state not a nervous or anxious state, but a constant healthy state of expectancy. Why? Because we serve an unbelievably powerful God who just, he wants to encounter people and he wants to use us to do it. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you. Everything that we have, even the very breath we breathe is from you. We're told that in you we live and move and have our very being. We want to settle for nothing less than what you have for us. We, we don't want to settle for anything less than the fullness of the Spirit in us, as much as we can hold. God, you're so good in your wisdom <laughs> that you give it to us as we're able. We just ask for more in this place. We ask for more in this place. We ask for abundance in this place. We ask for expectancy in this place. We ask for your presence in this place every single Sunday, every single Wednesday night, every single time the doors are open. I don't care if it's what the event is. And let, let that not just be held here, but let that flow out of this place. Let it start here and then let it flow out of here into our lives where we live live of, of expectancy. Lives of excitement about that we get to serve the one and only living and eternal God. In Jesus, in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.